0: Just for a moment, close your eyes. Now open them again. What do you see? You might be looking passively at a screen. You might be looking at traffic. In any case, take a moment to appreciate how we see the world. Our eyes use a complex combination of tissues, receptors, nerves, and much more to help you perceive the world around you. But have you ever asked yourself, what do you not see? Many animals in nature have eyes that are able to see a larger spectrum of light or are more sensitive to light. One such example is frogs, which have a larger variety and capacity of light detection compared to humans. So how do some animals develop such different eyes? How does the world look different through the eyes of other animals? All this and more in our discussion today on the sidelines. Joining us on the sidelines today to talk about vision is Lawrence Mann, an incoming PhD student at UC Berkeley specializing in vision science. Thanks for joining us, Lawrence.
1: Thanks for having
0: me, June. It's
1: a pleasure to be on here.
0: Yeah. And you know, vision is such an interesting concept and you know, it, it is incredible th- to think about how it just, our two eyeballs <laughs> allows us to navigate this entire world. But I want to start very simple. I want to start at the simplest place we can start about vision. And that is, how does vision even work? How are we able to see the complexities of the world through our two eyes? Yeah, you're right.
1: Our eyes are really complex, but they're such wonderful and intricate devices that we have. When light enters and passes through the eye, Light lands on the retina, which is a tissue responsible for capturing light and converting it to neural information, which is then communicated to the brain. The retina has a beautiful assortment of neurons which account for the way it can detect light and pass on information. You know, we we can say that there are five general categories of these retinal neurons, which include photoreceptors, horizontal cells, bipolar cells. Amacrine cells and retinal ganglion cells, and these are organized in different layers. In the human, photoreceptors and a small portion of retinal ganglion cells are the neurons that can detect light, while the horizontal bipolar amacrine and retinal ganglion cells are considered intermediate neurons that regulate signals in the retina. The signals from retinal ganglion cells exit out of the eye through the optic nerve and then to the brain for additional in processing. You know, we can see different colors because our photoreceptors contain special proteins that absorb light, which then allows for signals to be passed on from neuron to neuron in the retina. As for the retinal ganglion cells that can detect light, they contribute to our circadian rhythm and they also help control our pupil size, but they too also need special proteins to absorb and detect
0: light. Well, that's really cool because, you know, we, you know, in in a typical high school classroom, you'll learn about rods and cones and hear about how, yeah, you can have some kind of, you know, some kinds of proteins or receptors are responsible for color and others are responsible for light, you know, how dark or, or bright something is. But when you know, you mentioned something even like circadian rhythm, which is, you know, our sleep cycle kind of, Uh, that's very interesting that there's specific receptors or specific proteins in the eye as well that are dedicated to also regulating the circadian rhythm. That's really cool.
1: Yeah, you know, um, in high school, I remember learning about rods and cones, but not so much about those, the neurons that come after the rods and cones. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the retina is so complex, and we're able to see what we see because of the entire circuit in our retina. And yeah, no, it's really interesting to learn about these retinal ganglion cells that contribute to our circadian rhythm because um you know those you know yellow light filters or the blue light sorry the blue light filters right uh, on on your glasses and on your screens so these cells that contribute to your circadian rhythm they actually detect blue light and so when those cells are activated they tell the brain that it's still daytime and so that's why at night or when people are uh, sitting in front of the computer too much, they have a blue light filter, which sort of eases the activation of those cells and you know it sort of relieves the brain of, of these signals. So yeah, everything's really cool in the eye.
0: And that's why you're supposed to stay away from your screen 30 minutes before you go to bed.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: You mentioned before uh, these special proteins. And, you know, like you said, let, let's go beyond the rods and cones. Uh, you know, tell me a little bit more about those special proteins uh, in our eyes. So, so what in particular uh, do you think are, you know, more worthy of mention as well? And why are they so important to the eye?
1: Yeah. So these special light detecting proteins in our eyes, the ones in our retina, they're called opsins. There are different families and types of opsins in our eye and you know the rods and cones they're the normal ones which help us see different colors and help us in dim lighting and then there's the one I just mentioned the one that takes part in controlling our circadian rhythm and our pupil size and with the opsins in our retina and in combination with the rest of our visual system we can see details movement and contours within our environment and so these special proteins can detect light through something called a chromophore, which is simply a small molecule that changes shape when it absorbs light. And the molecule is bound to the opsin protein. So when the molecule changes conformation, the protein undergoes a change in shape, which then leads to signals being passed on within the neuron, then from neuron to neuron, and so on. And there are actually additional opsins, not necessarily in the human eye, But in other animals where we don't fully understand them, we don't know what they do. And so much is, you know, yet to learn. We have so much yet
0: to learn about them. Mm. And so you mentioned the options you know you can see details movement and contour so would it be fair to say like you know the rods and cones do most of the heavy lifting for you know the 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 vision for color and dim lighting and stuff like that but options kind of do the fine tuning because you can see those you know small contours with our environment and stuff like that yeah you know it's actually not
1: the uh those options that do the contours and you know when you look at a shape you see edges or you know Sure, your opsins are the ones detecting the light, but it's actually the rest of the circuit fine tuning it. So it's not the opsin tuning it; it's the rest of the circuit, and that's why those intermediate neurons are so important.
0: Hmm. So it all still to works together. That's very cool. So I want to ask about your specific research now, because you did explain that there's still a lot to be found out about opsins, especially not just in humans, but in other animals and species as well. So I know you're working on the gene expression of opsins in the frog. So could you explain what you found about these frog opsins and why they might be different from human opsins?
1: Yeah, so my current research is looking at a very specific family of opsins in the frog called the Neuropsins. And this is different from the family of opsins you know, in rods and cones, for detecting color and, you know, ones that help us in dim lighting and the ones responsible for circadian rhythm. But these neuroopsins, which are named from opsin 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9, they're not very well understood. But what we know so far is that mammals only have opsin 5, and we know that in mice, they're known to regulate their circadian rhythm of the eye. Not the whole body, but the circadian rhythm of just the eye. But beyond that, the functions of the neuropsins are unknown in humans, and it's poorly understood in other animals. And in my lab, I specifically use the African clawed frog. That's just the model that I use. I'm looking at the neuropsin expression of opsins 5, 6, and 8 in the developing and mature retina. Opsin 7 is not detectable in the retina, and opsin 9 is only found in fish. And so for me, uh, For opsins 5, 6, and 8, I'm looking at exactly which neurons they are expressed in. What I've found so far is that the neuropsins each have their own unique expression patterns in the retina. They're not just expressed in the photoreceptors, which we typically think are the ones with opsins. For opsin 5, what I found is that it's expressed in subpopulations of the intermediate neurons, which include bipolar, amicrine and retinal ganglion cells. For opsin 6, it's expressed in newly born photoreceptors, and expression decreases as the photoreceptors mature. For opsin 8, I found that they're expressed in uh, subpopulations of amicrine and retinal ganglion cells. And so remember, we typically think of opsins to be found in photoreceptors and just some, just some retinal ganglion cells but my research shows that the neuropsins are expressed in a larger variety of retinal neurons compared to humans. And so uh, I was talking about how opsin five and eight are expressed in those intermediate neurons. And so in humans, those intermediate neurons are just there to pass on information. But here in the frog, those cells with opsins are potentially uh, responsive to light. So not only do they pass on information, those cells themselves can detect light. And so because frogs have more types of opsins in the eye and more types of cells are able to detect light, perhaps they have a greater ability of light detection than humans. But more research needs to be done to fully understand the role of neuroopsins in the
0: retina. Hmm. Very cool. So if if I, if I have this correct, so basically you have a bunch of these photoreceptors and photoreceptors typically have opsins but what you found is that these frogs just have different kinds of options that you know humans simply don't have and then the idea is i mean i'm sure it's true but frogs then are able to see different perhaps better or at least like absorb or at least see different kinds of light that maybe humans cannot is is that kind of the implication here that is
1: the implication uh, because there's more options it means that there's potentially better light absorption or they can see a different spectrum of light or maybe they have a better way of regulating light. And so who knows, maybe they can see things that are in much greater detail than we do.
0: That's pretty cool. Cause uh, you know, I, I've read about places where they talk about how like eagles or like falcons uh, or like some kinds of like hunting birds can see like a little bit of like more than visible lights. Like they can see a little bit of like, uh, different wavelengths of light that are not visible to the human eye. Uh, but it, it's really crazy to think that it's not just these, these peak predators, but it's also frogs who are able to see a little bit more than visible light. That's awesome. So my last question is, why do you think that different animals like humans or frogs, or you know even the birds that I mentioned before, but, but mostly humans or frogs, have such different levels of these proteins? Or why do you think their vision changes so much in general?
1: Yeah, so we have to think about this in, uh, from an evolution standpoint. And throughout the course of time, though, there have been different evolutionary pressures to guide which genes are needed to survive, and genes that are redundant or useless to um, be lost over time. I'll give the example of humans and frogs. and Obviously, both have gone through different evolutionary pressures. But idea as to why frogs and some other animals are able... To detect more kinds of light or are more sensitive is to avoid predation. If animals have more sensitive visual systems, they can detect danger more easily. Pressures such as predation can allow for genes to be kept because through natural selection, the genes that are lost that are essential for survival will allow those frogs to die off. And you know, for humans, while a lack of predation causes some genes to be useless. And then the loss of useless genes is just a probable result of what occurs. And you know the thing about birds is that because they are a predator on you know rodents and other animals, they also need to you know everyone needs to up their their visual game, right? <laughs> right. Think about, and so throughout the course of evolution, I'll say that like a lot of animals have been improving their eyesight, whether it's for capturing their prey or avoiding predation. Either way, uh, throughout the course of time, our visual systems are most likely progressing to something that gets better and better.
0: That makes sense. I mean, whether you are a predator, whether you are a prey, you do need to keep a lookout uh, regardless to survive. So that does make sense in terms of evolutionary pressures. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Lawrence. I uh, learned a lot about eyes, learned a lot about, you know, the details of not only what eyes can do, but, how they work and how they might work differently in different animals. Yeah, re- really awesome chat. Yeah, thanks for having me. This
1: was really great.
0: Thank you again for tuning in and remember to subscribe for more conversations and some insightful answers to your questions about the science impacting your world. If you want to learn more about vision or any of the other topics we've talked about on the show, visit us on Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok at Sci4Everyone and on our website at wwwscience